This morning, um, I'm not going to repeat some of the uh, week after week uh, recitation of the series that we're doing. Um, I think I'm just I'm not going to do it this morning. So we may click through a few slides awkwardly together. I'm just going to go directly to Matthew chapter 7. This is uh, one of several passages we'll hear this morning on a very important theme of ministry principles. I'll just say that for now. I want to highlight and emphasize what I believe to be faithful principles that any faithful church should be, must be committed to. And this morning, our first passage is from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. So give your attention to God's Word. Jesus said, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are dependent upon you to open our eyes, to soften our hearts, to unstop our ears. Otherwise, spiritual things are dead to us. And so, Lord, would you enliven us by your Spirit? Would you illumine your Word would you bring it to light, to understanding for us, even for our young children? We ask this and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are a people, every one of us, you and I. We are a people who need a sure and certain word. We are desperate for a sure and certain word. Most of us, not all of us, but most of us cannot go to a restaurant and order food without demonstrating this truth. We ask a waitress that we don't even know and who doesn't even know us, well, what do you think I should get? What do you think I would like? What do you think I should order? Because we're looking for help. We don't know. We need a sure and certain word because we are so paralyzed by having to make a decision. We want something we can hang our hats on. We want something we can be confident in. And we sometimes admit that and that that confidence is outside of ourselves. Even if it's in a waitress who maybe knows the menu but doesn't know us. This morning, we are reminded of a true principle in the Christian life, that God has given us that sure and certain word for which we are longing. 
It is a word in which and through which He has revealed Himself to us and His promises to the church. Did you hear that? The true and certain word that we are longing for, God has given it to us. It is a firm foundation on which we can and we must build our lives and our families. Because as the Scripture said, all other ground on which we would build is sinking sand. Do you believe that? Five points this morning. That's why I'm trying to be brief and simple and clear. I have five things to say this morning. And the first is this. I'm talking about principles. So what do I mean by principle? What is a principle? A principle is that which is agreed upon to be a standard and which is foundational. So I believe there are ministry principles that every faithful church should have. And in the next five weeks, I'm going to highlight five principles. And the first and the essential one is the principle of Scripture, the Bible. What we believe to be the Bible in the Christian life, what it is how we should regard it, and how we should use it. So the principles of a faithful ministry, principle number one is Scripture. It's the Bible. So what is our doctrine of the Bible? What's our doctrine of Scripture at GPC? And what does that mean practically? What does it it really result in? I think this is pretty important subject matter. I hope that you do too. So I've got several things here. Some of you could complete this outline from this point on. Others of you may be hearing things for the first time. I'm not sure. But I'll try to speak as if you've not heard these things before. So our doctrine of Holy Scripture, what it means practically, would begin with this. We believe, as a church, we believe that the 66 books contained in the Old Testament and the New Testament are holy holy scripture. Our doctrine of the Bible, of scripture, is that it's holy. Well, what does holy mean? Holy means it's set apart. It's unlike any other thing. It is of the Lord. So we believe that the scriptures, the 66 books contained in our Bible, they are holy scripture. They are a gift of God given to us, His church, to direct our paths, to guide us to Christ, to reveal God Himself to us in the person and the work of salvation, and to give us that job description of who we are and what the church is. So we believe in Holy Scripture. Westminster Confession of Faith, you know, perhaps you know, is a part of our theological standards. And of the Scriptures, they say, now this is wordy and I don't have it for a slide, but I want you to hear it anyway. This, this is what we believe as the church about Scripture. That although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God to such an extent that men are without excuse, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and of His will which is necessary for salvation. Do you understand what that means? It means you can walk outside and see the beautiful sunshine today, the beautiful blue skies. You can go to the lake today and enjoy the water. And it's all evidence of God being a creator. 
But that is not sufficient to reveal to you the person and work of Jesus. We needed something more to reveal to us God's will for salvation. And it goes on to say, Therefore, it pleased the Lord at various times and in diverse ways to reveal Himself and to declare His will to His church. And afterward, for the better preserving and propagating of the truth, and for the more sure establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world, to commit this revelation wholly, completely to writing. Therefore, the Holy Scripture is most necessary. God's former ways of revealing His will to His people having been ceased. That's a lot of words. I know that. It's archaic. But it is substantial and beautiful. Go look at it yourself and consider, do you agree? Do you believe that Scripture is holy in that way? That that God has done something unique in Scripture that is nowhere else to be found? That's one of the things we believe about Scripture that would make it a principle for ministry. A second thing we believe... We believe in the Scripture's divine inspiration. There's going to be a lot of vocabulary in here that for uh, youth or children may be a little bit troubling or a little confusing, I should say. But this says we believe that God has divinely, God Himself from heaven, inspired His Word. And that language by itself is a little confusing. The concept is really captured in 2 Timothy 3.16, which we heard earlier in the service that says this. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, the church, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So the language there is god Breathed, And it actually, instead of inspiration, it says expiration. It's expired. It's breathed out by God. So we are familiar with language in our culture of being inspired, right? I woke up and I felt so inspired that I wrote a poem. That's something I've never done. <laughs> um, but, but you understand the concept. Oh, something just worked in me. I felt so inspired and I, and I did this. And in that way, the the authors of Scripture were divinely inspired. God inspired them. But literally the language here is that God's Word was breathed out through them. Both meaningful, beautiful concepts. Both concepts we believe at GPC. Which would make Scripture a principle for us. Something we hold to and agree upon by faith. Thirdly, we believe that the Scriptures are inerrant, which means that they are without error. And by that we mean in their original manuscripts, through those authors that were inspired and through which God revealed His Word, through which He breathed it out, those original manuscripts were precisely what God revealed through those authors. They are without error. They are inerrant. Second Peter chapter 1, we're told... Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, 
spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? We believe that God, the Holy Spirit, had His direct influence to give those Scriptures, to protect and preserve those Scriptures, that they are without error. That raises the question, well, what about errors outside of the original manuscripts? What about errors in the Bible we have in our pews? I'm not going to give you the stats. That would be great for a Sunday school class sometime. But you need to know of the supposed errors in the Bible, the English Bible that you would have, the majority of them are things such as whether it says, Jesus Christ our Lord, or if it actually says, our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that controversial? Absolutely not. The point is clear. God has given us His Word, and we believe it to be divinely inspired and without error in all that it teaches. Fourthly, we believe in the infallibility of Scripture. Now, there's a word we don't use all the time, but that word essentially means that God's Word is unfailing in its every purpose that God accomplished for it. It is unfailing. Its power accomplishes precisely what God would have it do. Our opening scripture reflection reflects that sense of God's power and His might, where Jeremiah the prophet said, Is not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces? That's our doctrine of scripture. God's word cannot be thwarted. God's will cannot be thwarted. It will accomplish all that God seeks for it to accomplish. Fifthly, we believe in the authority of Scripture. We believe that God's word has authority in the Christian life, authority for the church. We look to it as our only rule for faith and practice. It's not God's word and our tradition. It's, not, it's certainly not God's Word and my gut instinct. It's God's Word. God's Word is the authority in the Christian life. And then, sixthly, I think it is. We believe that the Scriptures are sufficient. They are all that we need. Anything that God wants His church to know, He's revealed it. And the canon is closed God's will has been given. His word has been given. We'll sing in a closing hymn in a few minutes. And I want you to hear this line when we sing it and know what it means. It says, What more can he say than to you he hath said? Which is to say, he has said it all. There's nothing left to be known. He has said what is to be said. And by faith we believe that and we trust that. And then lastly, we believe in the perspicuity of Scripture. Well, now there's a word we don't use every day. The perspicuity of Scripture is how the fathers of the faith referred to the clarity of Scripture. The wisdom of Scripture is so complex, it can confound the wisest of men and women, can blow us away. But the saving message of Scripture is so simple. It's so clear that even a young child can understand it. That's what we mean by the perspicuity of Scripture. It is not an academic document only to be understood by scholars. It is for little ones to come forward and profess their faith. 
as we've had some do in recent weeks, to say, I I believe this. I'm a sinner, and Jesus is my only hope for salvation. So what is our doctrine of Scripture, and why does it practically matter? Well, there are several little bullet statements to give you a taste of what we believe as a church, your officers of the church, elders and deacons. These are the things we believe to be about Scripture. And we would invite you to test and see what you believe. Is this what you believe about the Bible? If it is, you might wish to seek membership with a church like this one. So practically, what does that mean? Practically, what does all that mean? Well, that would mean, if those things are true, as we believe they are, at GPC, we don't ever wish to compromise the principle of Holy Scripture. Rather, we emphasize it, we prioritize it, and we seek to only demonstrate the faithful use of Scripture, enabling us to minister with integrity. Does that make sense? If this is a principle, and it is, we hold to it with sincerity. We want to model it in everything that we do. Every sermon we preach, every song that we sing, every youth group, every small group, every everything, we want to faithfully demonstrate and model this principle. In the barn where I used to preach weekly to students and where we now have routine events, GPC church family events, I don't have one on the calendar yet, but I'm hoping to announce a men's fellowship pretty soon. Underneath where I used to stand and preach, and some of you maybe have seen this, there's a rafter. And on that rafter is a sign where I wrote a little equation years ago that I learned along the way in my years with RUF. And that little equation that I wrote with a sharpie, it's a barn, y'all. It's not a nice sign. It's, it's a piece of wood with a sharpie on it. It says this. This is what I learned. Sincerity plus integrity equals believability. Let me say that again. Sincerity plus integrity equals believability. And then the opposite of that, of course, would be true. A lack of sincerity and or a lack of integrity lacks believability. You understand the significance of that? At at GPC, may we always be sincere in our doctrine. May we really believe it. May we always live and model integrity with it. And then may we be found believable to the greater Greenwood community who hears what we have to proclaim in our ministry. May that always be true true of us in our ministry of word and deed. We've got to be sincere. And we've got to have integrity. Or why else would anybody believe us? Does that make sense? That's my prayer. Not just for our pulpit ministry, but for all of our ministries. That we'd be sincere with integrity and that people would find us to be believable in that way. Fourthly, already to point number four. Why do we believe any of this? Why would we believe such high and holy things about a book of books? 66 books contained within one book. Why do we believe this? Well, in a word... It's because we believe that that book of books is divinely trustworthy. 
It's worthy of our trust. It's proven itself. And one of the primary reasons we believe it is because of Jesus' own view of Scripture that He reveals in the Scriptures. What He said about the Old Testament, what He said about His own words, and what He said would be true of a New Testament through the Holy Spirit, through the apostles given for the good of the church. Let me highlight this. This is long, but this is so important. What's Jesus' view of the Old Testament? You and I pick up those 39 books of the Old Testament and we can get buried and lost in names and tribes and cities and historical accounts. What does it all mean? Why is it given to us? Well, in Luke chapter 24, on what was literally Easter Sunday, the day which Jesus rose, we're given that account of His walk on the road to Emmaus and His encounter with some who were very confused by that, those events in Jerusalem that day and that week. And Jesus approaches these two people who are talking in great confusion about everything that had just happened Easter week. And I'll pick up reading in verse 17. Jesus came up to them. They didn't recognize Him. They were kept from recognizing Him, which is another sermon for another day. And He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still with their faces downcast. And one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. All right, now here's the key. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? and then enter His glory. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the Scriptures, the Old Testament, concerning Himself. Do you hear that Jesus just gave us the decoder ring to understand the entire Old Testament? And He did it in the language of saying, it's all true. You need to believe it. You need to know it. And he said, it's all about me. All of it is about me. Now, you don't make such statements lightly. But when they are true, you can make such statements. And so Jesus gives us his view of the Old Testament. It's all about him. That's his view. That's his doctrine of the Old Testament. And then, of course, we know in Matthew chapter 3, considering Jesus' own words that he would speak, 
At Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, everybody heard the Lord speak from heaven. And what did the Lord say at his baptism? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. You see, the offering of God giving his word to his people, Old Testament, in the person of Jesus, it's always been there. It's how he interacts and works with his people. And then in Matthew chapter 7, the passage we've read for our sermon, Jesus is so bold as to say, the words I am speaking to you, you can build upon them. And if you build on anything other than my words, it will crumble like on a foundation of sand. Again, equally bold words about his present words spoken at that time. And then concerning a future coming of God's word, he revealed to the apostles that he would be giving them the Holy Spirit. In John 15 and John 17, listen to those briefly. Jesus says to his disciples, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And then in John 17, in his prayer for the church, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. And so Old Testament, his present word spoken at that time, and the promise of the Holy Spirit who would come in Acts chapter 2, all gifts of God to give his word to his church. That's what we believe and why it matters. It gives divine, if true, it gives divine trustworthiness to the Bible. B.B. Warfield says this, that inspiration of God giving His Word to man, it's a supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers by the Spirit of God, by virtue of which their writings are given divine trustworthiness. And so I ask you this morning, is, does this sound like the kinds of things that you believe? Do you look to the Scriptures as holy, as a gift from God to reveal to you His will for you and for your salvation? That's what the Christian church is, has always believed. We're given the Scriptures for a reason, and they're to be the great blessing in our life. And I know that the Scripture is always under attack. It has been since God first spoke to man. And you and I can be in some awkward situations of feeling the need to defend Scripture, uh, which has a sense of being appropriate in different times and places. But in my study this week, I was reminded of a quote by Charles Spurgeon, which puts that effort to rest in my mind in so many ways. Charles Spurgeon said this, Scripture is like a lion. Who ever heard of defending a lion? Just turn it loose. It will defend itself. Which, for a preacher to hear that, you understand, is, is to say, you hadn't got to say everything. You're not going to prove everything. Let the Scriptures be heard. Say what they say. Preach the Word. And watch the Lion of Scripture 
do its purpose, do its work. You can't tame it. You can't control it. It is the living and powerful Word of God. Amen? And lastly, why does it all matter? What's it matter? What's a doctrine of Scripture really matter? Well, for many reasons, but to be brief and short, because of the pressure from within the church and without the church to modernize and to secularize. The church has always been pressed to keep up with the world, be significant, right? We don't want to lose the respect of those who think we should think otherwise. There's always been that pressure. There always will be that pressure. But you see, we are a peculiar people. That's what the Scriptures call us, a peculiar people, distinct from the world, set apart to be faithful to the Lord as His body and as His bride. And by the way, that in part, that being set apart, that is, that is part of the reason why He's given us baptism. That we might know we've been distinguished from the world. We're set apart. We're marked. We believe these things. That's who we are as the church. And He's given us that benefit of knowing, okay, this is who I identify with and He identifies with me. Now, whether or not we are faithful to the doctrine of Holy Scripture, that will result in whether or not we are stable in our faith and in our practice and in our endurance in the Christian life. Let me say that again. To the degree to which we hold to this doctrine will reveal and expose how stable we are in our own Christian faith as individuals, as a church family, in our faith, our practice, and our endurance to the very end of life. Our doctrine of Scripture is that important. Jesus is putting this powerful image in Matthew chapter 7 before us, and He's pressing the question, will your foundation hold? Are you building your life, your faith, your practice on a solid rock or on crumbling sand which will not withstand the winds and storms of this life? That is what He's saying to us. Now there's an adage, some of you have heard, some of you know, it says this, as the pulpit goes so the people go. Have you heard that? As the pulpit goes, the people as sheep, they're going to be influenced. If we're not crystal clear and strong in our doctrine of Scripture, we should suspect that our sheep, our people, won't be either. Right? There's another adage, too, uh, that some of our professors know. And that adage is, as the seminaries go, so the pulpits go. Right? I remember hearing that in seminary. Um, and it's true. Every, every modeling, shaping influence on us has got to be faithful to this principle because it will trickle down and it will eventually affect the sheep. And so everything we do here and there and everywhere, we want to be faithful to this principle. We do not want to compromise this principle because we believe... Christ is the living Word who affirms the gift of His written Word. 
He quoted Scripture as authoritative and showed its sufficiency in the desert temptation in Luke chapter 4. As he said time and time again, it is written. It is written in the Scriptures. It is written. That was his line of defense against Satan himself. Christ affirmed that the Old Testament was all about himself on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And finally, he promised the Holy Spirit. The Comforter would be a very present help to guide and lead the church in truth. That coming to fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. So, quickly summed up and stated in an application. If we compromise this principle of Holy Scripture, we compromise the ministry that's been given to us by the Lord Himself because we compromise His view of the Scriptures that He's given us. And so, what good is it, practically speaking, to have a high and holy view of Scripture, but to not read it, or not study it, or to not hear it, or to not preach it, to not know it and believe it? You understand, we don't want to just check off on paper that we have a high and holy view of Scripture. We want that to show itself in the way that we live. All of us, every one of us. We want that that principle to prove itself, to become reality in our lives. Because then we'll have a sure foundation. We will have two feet on stable ground, on Christ Himself and His promises. That's the desire and why it would be principle. So a few things in the way of application as we finish. It's for this reason, it's because of this principle that every faithful ministry must hold to. This summer, we're going to attempt to offer for our high school boys a small group Bible study. A Bible study that would help put two feet on the ground for the long haul and for the future. A Bible study that hopefully is enjoyable. Maybe even one that you could invite unchurched friends to come to. So we're putting our best plan together. It's something that I hope to do and hope to lead. It might be at the barn around a campfire with food once a week. It may be at GPC uh, in a classroom. Uh, We don't know. We don't know the best strategy. But we know that would be a place to work on the principle for our high school boys. Right? We're going to do the same thing for our high school girls. And Emma, who begins her internship today as the children and youth ministry intern, she's going to lead for our, is it middle school and high school? Or just, we're not sure if it's middle school or high school. But it doesn't matter because we're going to be aiming at a principle. Uh, And whatever is the best strategy, we're we're going to put it together and we're going to run with it. And here's what's going to happen, high school age boys. We're probably going to find it's really hard to get together. Everybody's on vacation, you're out of town. Five people can come on this date. Three people can come on this date. doesn't matter because we're aiming at a principle. Right? We're going we're gonna to make something for the good of our young men and our young women. And who knows, if it sticks, we may get to the fall. Maybe that group turns into a Sunday school class because they know each other, they've had good times together, and, and maybe it sticks and becomes a Sunday school class. Or maybe it continues as a small group. Or maybe it doesn't continue at all. I don't know. We're just going to try because we need this principle at work in the life of our youth. 
Now that makes me wonder, hmm, I wonder if there are other adult Sunday school opportunities like the one we already have. Good Sunday school class at 9.30 for all adults. But I wonder if there are other small groups that adults would benefit from having during the week. A Bible study. Maybe a college and career small group. Uh, Maybe a single small group. I don't know. But anywhere where we can apply this principle for the good of sheep, for the good of equipping them for every good work, the Scriptures say. I've just got to believe that's the faithful work of the church and what it might look like. Even for people who are so busy they don't have time for it. Even for them. God might bless and create something for our good because His Word is central and present. So ask yourself, maybe you could host a small group. Maybe you could lead a small group. Maybe you could take turns leading a small group. There are small groups that exist that you could fold into. Or we might have to create new ones if there's not room or geographically if there needs to be one in a different place. So let him who has ears to hear, hear. If you have an appetite for this, an interest, a desire in this, well, let's talk, let's plan, let's create a way to add some layers and avenues of ministry. In conclusion, uh, years ago now, probably 12, 14, 15 years ago, I found myself at a wedding. And this was an occasion uh, where I, I didn't have anything to do with the wedding. My wife was in the wedding. I was there as a guest watching uh, the, re- the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner. Um, and the, the father of the bride made a speech. He was a professor. He was a college professor at a major university. And he stood up and he made a speech. Now, I'll never forget it. But his advice to the bride and groom the night before their wedding, as he made his speech, he began this way. My advice to you, is to beware the people of one book. And I immediately realized he was talking about people like me. (laughs) What he meant was, beware the people who put so much emphasis in one book. They scare me. As an English professor who believes in many books, beware the people of one book. Now, I'd experienced some hostility towards the faith from him and, and just was a listener processed that, thought about that, and on the way home that night, I realized, you know, that sounds so good and convincing, doesn't it, for an English mind? But where are the people of one book? Absolutely. We wouldn't want to be so naive and simplistic as to be the people of one book. But then wait a second. It's 66 books. 66 books written by some 40 authors over the course of two centuries and on three continents. So let let you and let me not be so quick as to say, oh yeah, Scripture is easily defeated by such a fine-sounding argument. It's not. God's Word is a lion. You can't hold it back. And our principle, a principle of a faithful church, is to say, let it loose. Let God's Word do what God's Word and His Spirit have always done. Turn it loose and trust Him to be at work. We have the gift of a true and certain Word. We have a firm foundation. My prayer is that at GPC we will only build upon it. So let's pray together.
Our Father, that is the simple prayer this morning. May we be found faithful. Faithful to your word and your promises. And though we know we will not be perfectly faithful, we pray that you would bless us anyway. That you would overcome our shortcomings, our failures, our sins, our mistakes. And that your word would be like a lion doing exactly what it has promised to do. We ask it and we pray it as our firm foundation in Jesus' name. Amen.